On today's episode of the Sixers Beat, Rich and I spend a couple of minutes talking about the conference call Elton Brand had with reporters on Tuesday. We then spend the rest of the podcast talking about Rich's article, An Oral History of the Allen Iverson Practice Press Conference. In this podcast, we talk mostly about Rich's process in writing the article and what information he found out and paint the picture of everything that went into making that press conference go off the rails the way that it did. This podcast is more of a companion piece for the article, and you still should absolutely read the article itself, which will have quotes from many of the people that were there and that witnessed it firsthand, from Billy King and Larry Brown to reporters like Ashley Fox, Tom Moore, D. Lynham, and many more. If you're not already an Athletic subscriber, you can head on over to theathletic.com slash Sixersbeat, where you can find a discount code and which will let them know you came from us. Also, feel free to contact Rich and I directly, whether that's to rant or submit a mailbag question, and you can do that by sending an email to podcast at sixersbeat.com. Once again, that's podcast at sixersbeat.com. And without further ado, enjoy the show. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bodner joined by Rich Hoffman on the Sixers Beat, a part of the Athletics Podcast Network. Real quick, if you can, head on over to theathletic.com slash Sixers Beat. You can get a discount on a subscription, read all of our written content, including a pretty special article this week, uh, which we will get to in a second. How you doing, Rich? I'm good, man. We, uh, we finally heard a member of the Sixers officially speak today. I, I was joking. We we have something to talk about outside of NBC Sports Philadelphia's programming for the week, which is about the only press releases we seem to get nowadays, um, which I don't entirely know why we get those, but we do. So Elton Brand uh, spoke for almost exactly 30 minutes, touched on a variety of topics, none of them entirely earth shattering, uh, gave an update on Ben Simmons, what he thought about a potential return, how they're trying to keep everyone ready for the season um, and some draft stuff and other small tidbits. Was there like a sort of major, uh, when I got, I got asked a question on the radio on WIP and I'm like, honestly, the major takeaway for me was Simmons injury update. Like he basically on the record confirmed the ESPN report, which you knew Jack McMullen was confident in what she wrote when she reported it, but it's nice to get a, someone put their name behind it. You know, in this one, he says, um, I'm very optimistic he'll be ready to play if and when we're given the green light to resume the season. So that's good. Yeah. Outside of that. It's not bad. <laughs> it's not bad. It's better than nothing. Outside of that, you know, it, it's he seemed pretty confident they would resume the season at some point. Didn't really know details on what that would be and didn't want to speculate. Had some information on, like I said, keeping everybody together. They're having Zoom uh, happy hours that he's upset he's not a pardon, but you'll get over that. Uh, let's see. Joel is at the practice facility. Yep. So I, I guess the way it is, you're allowed to go to the practice facility for like rehab work. You cannot take part in basketball activities there. And even when these social distancing measures get re- relaxed and practice facilities start opening up for basketball, it won't be like, organized workouts it won't be with the coaching staff it'll just be like up to and this is still sort of being ironed out but it'll just be up to maybe like four players at a time that can be on a court all on your separate rims to keep uh you know keep everyone safe 
you know, there is some thought that, I guess another takeaway, there is some thought that Delaware might relax measures before certainly New Jersey, because New Jersey is unfortunately one of the hardest hit areas of the pandemic so far. So if that happens, maybe they can use, he talked about potentially using the field house in Delaware as a spot that they can send their players to. Not exactly ideal. You know, I think most of them probably live up here near the Philly. They don't want to be on the Lorenzo Brown expressway too often, but <laughs> to get some shots up, that's what you do. Uh, yeah, no commitment on replacing Mark Eversley. Obviously, their former senior vice president of player personnel, who is now with the Chicago Bulls. He spoke a lot of Rucker and Cohen and Sergi and Vince Rosman. Vince Rosman, the last one, probably most interesting in this aspect because he is... You know, he's a VP of scouting, so he would assume a lot of the responsibilities that um, Eversley had. Rosman, by the way, been here for about 12 or 13 years. Think of all the regime changes that dude has seen. Incre- incredible job surviving, quite frankly. It's it's quite different to go from Doug Collins to Sam Hinkie to well, Brian Clangelo. Was that, was that still Billy King? When did Billy King leave? Billy King was 07, yeah, I think, yeah. And then you go through Stefanski and Thorne, and, like, he's he's seen a lot. He's seen a lot. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, he would, he would assume a lot of the responsibilities. I wouldn't say there was anything really earth-shattering, though. No, it, it was a lot of kind of the general national reporting that yeah. we hear where, you know, people are keeping in touch on Zoom. They're sending them. Their uh, teams are sending their players workout equipment. They, they'd like to come back, but they don't know. It, it, it was a lot of that stuff. And I mean, I, I think it was, you know, it, they, they called that, uh, they, they called the call and uh, were very clear right away. Like Elton didn't even take a question about Simmons. He was like, I know everybody's going to ask this. He's, uh, he's doing good. And, you know, maybe I, I couldn't answer if, uh, if he'd play right now like if the the playoffs right now but the playoffs aren't right now and i think his general gist of what he was saying is like we think his ramp up period would be pretty easy compared to what you know what it might have been if the playoffs had actually happened on time so that's i mean as much as it was like a 30 minute call it was mostly things were mostly answered in the first i don't know two minutes that was that was a huge deal. And then the the rest of it is, you know, it's interesting. Like I would love to know what they're doing virtually to prepare for the draft. I think that was interesting when the NFL did it last week. Like I know that a lot of NFL executives said that they thought they were probably burning the candle at both ends before, after, after doing the virtual draft process. They could spend some more time with their families. They could be more efficient. I wonder if the NBA is like that as well with these uh, with these Zoom calls. And I, I know there's been a lot of speculation too if uh, maybe the NBA does a better job because they're not as uh, swayed by these interviews at the end of the, uh, the draft process. It is, you know, I think John Hollinger talked about this, like it shouldn't be a huge deal. The, the in-person workout and interview, but unfortunately it's the last thing you see. And, uh, you know, may, maybe they'll do a bit better, bit better job that way. But, you know, outside of that, it doesn't seem like, you know, the Sixers and, and brand really offered a ton of new information just that, uh, 
you know, everybody's okay for now and, and that they're looking forward to getting back on the court when they can. Yeah. And the NBA draft lottery and combine, which would have been, you know, the draft, I think, or the lot the lottery would have been in about 10 days, the combine in about a little over two weeks. That has been pushed back. Um, no date yet on when that would be rescheduled to. As of right now, the June, I think, 25th draft has not yet officially been postponed. Feels like they do that at the beginning of every month. Yeah, where, it feels like that's just a matter of time, yeah. uh, especially if they still believe they can get a, 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 a end of the season, regular season playoff run, whatever it might end up looking like. Can't have You're the draft in the first round. Right. You can't you can't have the draft while the season's still going on because that is the second um, busiest day, maybe even the busiest day in terms of player movement. You can't trade players while a playoff run is going on. So, yeah, I mean, it, it seems like it's only a matter of time, but they are. You know, I think Elton said he had a virtual interview with a draft prospect today. He's talking to players, talking to agents, talking to family members. They are doing their prep as if the draft would be next month, but I have a feeling it's not going to be next month. He's, the, he's judging their bookshelves and, and what right. they're wearing on these Zoom calls. You know, if you wear a sweatshirt, do you get downgraded and a suit and tie? I don't know. These the bookshelf the has to be the most fraudulent aspect of the COVID-19 era, though. Like everyone who is doing a, a Zoom interview or a call or a podcast or whatever, you're rearranging your bookshelf so it looks more, like it looks better on you, right? Like everybody is probably doing that. I, I don't buy it at all. I don't buy it at all. Uh, one thing, as Dan Gelston pointed out, you know, Elton Brand was talking about his kids and how he's he's basically trying to make it so that they have positive memories from this aspect. And he talked about going out to their fire pit and looking up to the stars. Um, and as and as Dan Gelston points out, Elton Brand is even star hunting with his kids. So <laughs> that was that was humorous. I don't know if I really have that much else to be honest. I wrote I wrote a, a article up there, basically recapping, breaking it down into sections, recapping what Elton said. Head on over to theathletic.com/sixers and uh, give it a read. I like when he said that he gives out basketballs, and you can see those basketballs on Matisse's TikToks. <laughs> right, the most 2020 statement of uh, of that presser for sure. TikToks are important, man. All right, let's take one brief break from the podcast to tell you about Roman. If you were to guess, on average, how many days people in the U.S. have to wait to see a doctor, what would you say? A week, maybe? Actually, on average, people have to wait around 29 days to see a doctor in major U.S. cities. Basically, a month. If you're dealing with a condition like erectile dysfunction, you want treatment ASAP. That's why our friends at Roman have spent years building a digital platform that can connect you with a doctor licensed in your state, all from the comfort of home. Roman makes it convenient to get the treatment you need on your schedule. Just grab your phone or computer, complete a free online visit, and you'll hear back from a U.S. licensed physician within 24 hours. And if the doctor decides that treatment is right for you, Roman's Pharmacy can ship your medication to you with free two-day shipping. You also get free unlimited follow-ups with your doctor anytime you have questions or want to adjust your treatment plan. With Roman, there are no commitments and you can cancel anytime. So if you're struggling with ED, go to GetRoman.com Sixers for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash Sixers for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. And now back to the podcast. All right, so I guess the main purpose of this podcast, you have what may be the longest article we've ever published on this site to date. Um, Charlie might have something. This The thing was with Charlie, it would just be like a game recap. But you have an oral history of Allen Iverson's practice press conference, which... 
God bless. What an uh, what an iconic day in Philadelphia sports. 18 yeah. years ago, the, to the day, he gave that press conference. And I guess, you know, what was your thought process behind the article? What were you going for? What were you hoping to get out of it? Well, I think that when everybody thinks about May 7th, 2002, and that press conference, everybody knows we're talking about practice. Everybody knows that. That is a part of pop culture at this point. But that press conference was 30 minutes long. It involved Iverson getting into multiple back and forth with writers. It, um, it was just a variety of different subjects. It was him being funny. It was him being sad. It was him talking about a million different subjects. And as you mentioned, the, uh, the insane word length of this article, it was an oral history. So, you know, once you get done the transcribing, it's not quite as hard. You know, th- these aren't all my thoughts for the most part. It's just, uh, me ordering the, uh, the comments from all of the reporters and people who were around Alan at that time. He is not in the article, tried to get him for, uh, for comment a couple times, but that didn't happen. But you know what? It, he already said enough and he already kind of laid his soul out for everybody to see that it wasn't completely necessary. And, and most of the other people who were around him were able to give a pretty good picture of what he was thinking at around that time and, uh, and what it was like with him and Larry Brown and just the, the general Allen Iverson experience. I will say that as big as Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons are, and Embiid is getting pretty darn big, I would say for an NBA superstar, you know, if we think he's the ninth or 10th best player in the league, I bet you he's probably, he might be a couple spots higher in terms of how famous he is. Um, Allen Iverson was on a whole nother level. I didn't, yep. this, this part didn't even make the, uh, the piece, but I was talking to Larry Brown and Larry Brown said that he always thought Allen was the most famous player in basketball. He was like, I know Michael Jordan and Kareem and you know, magic and Larry and any of these people. I, I know how they're viewed, but just because Allen, the way he played and how small he was and how he was off the court and how, you know, how really was, he was, just somebody who everybody kind of loved or, or everybody followed at least. And, you know, so, so it's, it's, a, it's about a lot of different things, this article, but uh, I, I think it's, it's worth a read because I think for the most part that press conference gets boiled down to, we're talking about practice, not the game, not the game. We're talking about practice and there is a whole lot more to it. So I guess paint the picture of what was going on with the Sixers up to that point. Because Allen Iverson being traded was not really a new phenomenon. He ended up he, not being traded that season, right? He not didn't, wasn't traded for another four more years after that. But he almost got traded to the Heat a couple times before that. A lot of people thought he was done after that season. There, his, his name was all over the trade reports. I guess what was, like, paint the picture of, of why that press conference was sort of contentious before it even, before we even got there. Well, because him and the Sixers had had a really frustrating year. You know, they, they had that magical run through the finals the, uh, the year before. And this was something I had forgotten. You, you definitely know this old man a little better than I did. <laughs> but uh, before the finals run, and I think it was like 2000, 
he was almost traded to the Detroit Pistons. And mm-hmm. the only reason Matt that Geiger the Sixers made the finals for the franchise. Yep. Matt Geiger, he was hurt the entire year uh, that, that he made trade the kicker. Yeah that, yeah. that they made the finals, but he would not waive his trade kicker. And that kept Allen Iverson in Philadelphia. So that was, you know, that's something that pretty much Billy King and I've seen Pat Croce in the past. He wasn't interviewed for this piece, but I've seen him admit like, Hey, th- that was really close to happening. That is, that's something there. Uh, after this season, there were, you know, there were, it was more like a rumor type thing. It was like everybody knew that Iverson and Brown were just not, you know, it was a rocky relationship and they were on one of the downswings. Things were not going well. There were people openly speculating in both papers. Like after they lose, they get their ass kicked in Boston in game five. It's the game where Antoine Walker started shimmying and Paul Pierce had 48 points. You know, it was a best of five series, do or die game. They got smoked. Lost by 33. Yeah. And then after the game, people are speculating, are these guys going to still be there this year? And to uh, Town's credit, he took a couple days. But unfortunately, in between then, Larry Brown said, hey, uh, I love him. Like, he's he's great. I love how hard he works, but he's got to practice. He's got to practice more consistently. And that's what we need the uh, the star player to do. And that is, you know, as much as there are things like Allen didn't want to be traded, Allen's friend had been killed, his very close friend had been killed, and that, you know, that, that had made him emotional that entire season. That pissed him off. He was not happy that Larry Brown said that publicly to the media. And, uh, you know, they, they had a meeting the day of the practice press conference, but it, it's funny. You know, I couldn't really tell how close they were to trading him in 2002 after that season. Billy King says they didn't even think about it. I, I don't think Larry was even really thinking about it that much, even if he was frustrated with Allen at the time. But Allen was worried. Larry said that the main thing Allen was dealing with, and Allen has been quoted in interviews kind of since then saying the same. His main thing was, please just tell me I'm staying here. I love it in Philadelphia. Like I, I do not want to leave. And uh, so that was a, that was a big part of it. And he, he did not, he did not want to leave. And eventually it's, it's weird to say, you know, because that press conference just went off the rails and, and it went to so many different places at the end of the meeting earlier that day between Brown and Iverson, they had come to an agreement like, Hey, like, yeah, we're going to run it back next year. And, uh, in Billy King's version, that's why he called the press conference. Cause Hey, you know, we, we got this contentious meeting out. It would be a good idea to get down in front of the media and say, Hey, I'm coming back. But, uh, unfortunately Neil Hartman and a few other reporters, I think Michael Barkan, they, uh, they brought up practice and, and Alan did not want to hear that. So you, you, you brought up his, his, his friend, Rasan Langford, I think it was. So yes. killed, I think it was before the season started, right at the beginning of the season, um, was shot in, in, in Allen's hometown. I guess a lot of people, when they see the, or see the video or hear, hear his practice rant, they don't really know what he, like when he's saying, like, we're talking about practice, I think a lot of people interpret it as like, it's you know, like, it's, 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 it doesn't matter about what's going on on the court when I think there might be a little bit deeper of a meaning to what he was getting at there, I guess. Can you explain that? Yeah. Th- this guy was 
I think Alan, he, like a lot of people, as they get famous, he was still really close to the people who were his friends before he was famous and before he had money. So he had a lot of friends from the Newport News Hampton area. And this was his friend who was in his wedding, which was really just a couple of months before he had gotten shot. And, uh, you know, so basically like right before the season, I think Allen's in Philadelphia getting prepared for the season. Uh, this guy, I believe it was in Kent Babb's book. He got in an argument at a bar, I think somewhere in, in Newport news, Virginia. And I, I think like later that night he was tragically, um, shot on, on the street. And, you know, I think it was something that Alan kind of kept inside of him that he did have an interview with, uh, with this guy, Larry Platt, who is quoted in the piece in, uh, in Playboy, I guess Playboy had, uh, had words at the time. Um, and he was, (laughs) that was always the excuse. You always said you had it because of the journalism. Yeah. I would have actually read this for the articles. Yes, (laughs) that is, that is true. Uh, where he basically talked like just like how much this was messing him up. Can you, and I mean, can you think about how like going back to that time where you had to buy a magazine for that material? Anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's you know things have obviously changed so much, but uh, yeah, and Alan was very open and and very honest about you know I got a lot of stuff going on in my life, and I think you know when he when he says we're talking about practice. He was like legitimately frustrated about practice, but part of what he was saying is, man, I, you know, I was on top of the world last year. I got married. I made the NBA finals. I won the MVP. And now people are blaming me because we lost in the first round. Uh, my friend got shot. I think I'm going to get traded. Things were, uh, were not good. And Alan would have a, uh, a rough summer after that. I didn't really get into the piece into that in the piece that much afterwards. But yeah, he was, you know, he was in a tough place at that, uh, at that point in his life. But yeah, that's, that is like the, the tragic sad part of it is that I think for most of the year, you know, this happened, um, his friend had been killed towards the beginning of the season. I think it was in October. I think most athletes kind of look at the court or the, the field that they play on is kind of their sanctuary. It's the place they can get away. And I think part of what hit Allen that day is that, you know, his season had ended and he had to deal with, um, with this tragic loss kind of in a new way. So this press conference was a, a, a long press conference. Um, even though we only ever see like one part of it. During the piece, you mentioned that, like, at the beginning, some people around the Sixers sort of thought it was funny and were, you know, almost, like, laughing as it was going on. I guess, how can you describe sort of, like, when... And and Billy King was there, but I think he was actually injured. Like, when was... Did they sort of, like, realize that, like, oh, shit, we've got a little bit of a PR fiasco here on our hands? For about five minutes, it was okay. It was kind of like, you know, I'm, I'm a little mad that Larry said that my practice habits aren't good. We lost. I, you know, I I just told him like, Hey, keep that internal, those type of things. I'm coming back, blah, blah, blah. And then at about like the five minute mark is when Neil Hartman is the person who asks about practice. And then there's the follow up. And I, I think 
You know, from I, I bring this up to you sometimes when we're at a press conference. I hate when people like cheesy laugh at a press conference for some some bad joke. Um, and I'm not even blaming a, a Sixers person here. I don't have like a a coach or an executive in mind. Josh Harris had a couple of bad ones at one point, but that like I'm talking about like it happens at Eagles press conferences. It happens all the time. Like you're not there to to laugh at these people's jokes. Like if if it's like legitimately funny, like smile and, and laugh, whatever. But a lot of times it isn't. So so there was like legitimate laughter when he brings the not a game, not a game. And I will say like I'm not judging the people who laughed during that because like it was legitimately funny and it was strange and all that stuff. But like I said, it went on for 30 minutes, man. Like, you know, he, he got into back and forth with Hartman, with Barkan, with, uh, with the great Phil Jasner at one point towards the end, he got into a, an argument. He has the, the great line when he says to, and it's very disrespectful to, uh, to Ashley Fox, who, used to work for ESPN, but she was the Inquirer beat writer at the time. And he snaps at her and says, how the hell am I supposed to make my teammates better by practicing? Um, there are all these things. So I don't know the exact moment. There is a, uh, there was somebody standing next to Billy. Her name was Karen Frascona. She was the Sixers PR director at the time. And she tried to stop it multiple times. The second time, Alan actually snapped at her and said, I think he was kind of in a back and forth with Barkan that she thought was getting a little bit too aggressive. But then when she tried to stop it, he turns to her and says, he can talk, he can talk. I'm not leaving, which is funny because I think a lot of people would say that not only Alan, but most athletes, when the, uh, when the PR person goes one more question, they think, yes, thank God, this is almost over. I can't wait to get away from it. Not him that day. He had... <laughs> You know, he had been riled up and uh, he was combative. I mean, God, he he has one line to bark in, which I think is just so funny, where he's like, you know, I'm human just like you. Why am I getting judged like this? Because I make a little money and I play basketball. And bark says something like, yeah. And then Alan goes, you're no different than me. You get paid shit to talk on that mic, don't you? Um <laughs> It's just, yeah, it's just an amazing entire press conference. And I guess, you know, if you don't want to read all of those words, and please, please do. I, I do think it's there are some very good stories, some backstories about how he didn't like the practice, his his terrible training habits. Uh, all Love those of Taco Bell. Loves Taco Bell. All those different things. Um, but even if you don't do that, like try and watch the entire press conference because. It's amazing. Like, it is a spectacle that, you know, and Ashley Fox is quoted, I think, at the end saying this. Like, she was like, I was there when T.O. was doing sit-ups in the uh, in the driveway, all those crazy things. I've seen a ton of crazy stuff in Philadelphia. I'm not sure if we've seen anything like that. Because I don't think there was anything like that anywhere. No. And, and we certainly will never see anything like that again because players are, are too rehearsed and too well prepared for this stuff now. And the way the, uh, you know, modern media works, right? Like, I think Jimmy Butler talked about this on Reddick's podcast a few weeks ago where he was basically like, look, when I started in the league around 2010, guys used to go out more. And his thesis on that basically was, well, the league was older a little bit back then. So that makes sense. You know, young kids 
they're mostly just going to play video games, yeah, especially if they really can. Was that much older though? Because they allowed um, they allowed high schoolers to come in. Like I think I think Jimmy might be wrong about that. But anyway, okay. Go ahead. okay. Well, that was and and that's one of the reasons. But the the main reason that guys don't go out as much or at least keep it to like a private dinner is because if they're doing anything crazy, yeah, somebody's going to whip out their cell phone. Now that I 100% believe. And that'll be up on the internet in five seconds. Yep. In a way, and it's funny, you watch the the Jordan documentary, right? When he goes to Atlantic City. Now this was obviously a little bit before Alan, but, you know, roughly, there were cell phones at that point when uh, they, they were pretty common when Alan had this press conference, but it wasn't like people were... (laughs) <laughs> were taking pictures on their cell phones really no. at that point. Yep. Um, and there wasn't any sort of social media. I think Billy King has a funny line towards the end there. Where he's like, man, he's like, I can't even imagine what that would be like today. He's like, part of the reason that it still lives on today is because of social media and all this stuff. He's like, but imagine if it happened when social media like actually existed. He's like all the memes and stuff. It would have been <laughs> yes. crazy. And it's, it's hard to argue with them. You know, it was a different time. And yeah, it's something for all of those reasons. I don't think we're ever going to see again. Yeah. I mean, look, it's, we've, we've had a chance to talk with Alan a couple times. You know, he had that one where I remember him saying to us, like, I didn't lift weights when I played because that shit was heavy, which is the most Alan Iverson quote ever. But like, he, I'm, I'm just reading your piece right now. And um, if I can do that, if I can build myself up, and get a whole lot of muscles and come back in here looking like Arnold. Are you going to give me the MVP award automatically? If I come here looking swollen, big and strong and tough, y'all going to give me that award. Right. And like, he just has this defiance about him Mm -hmm. and about lifting weights and about being in shape that, uh, it came through so great in this, uh, in this piece and in that press conference. And he gets into an argument with Phil Jasner, who this is me kind of being a, a media nerd and also somebody whose family worked for the daily news. His relationship with Phil Jasner, one of my favorite things ever. Because they did not like each other at first, right? Um, th- There were, you know, Phil had been there. He was the dean of the Sixers beat, right? Like he had been there for Doc and for Moses and for all those crappy teams in the 90s. So when, when Allen showed up, it was like, you know, it was his turf more than Allen's, honestly. And he was so well sourced in all of these these things. He was such a just dogged kind of good old school reporter who, you know, valued passing the sharing the ball and and all of these different things. So at one point after the uh, after the Arnold Schwarzenegger, I'm going to get all a swole comment, which by the way is hilarious because Alan is just this. It's just this unbelievable combination where. There's nobody who tried harder during a game. There's nobody who played harder. There, there would like, I think Bill Simmons at one point said that like he heard former players trading Iverson stories, and it sounded like they were talking about some, some like warrior from, I don't know, like some mythical guy almost. Like it was so crazy how competitive he was. Um, but he took such bad care of his body, and that's from not working out to his. You know, his nightlife activities don't really get too much into that in in the piece. But it, it, he just didn't understand that, like, lifting weights. And what, what was it? Because them shits are too heavy? Is that what he said? <laughs> yeah, because that shit is too heavy, which is sort of the point. But yeah. Yeah. He didn't understand. Like, I actually think he thought 
hey, they want me to look like Arnold Schwarzenegger. And it's like, no, man, we just like want you to build your body up so you can perhaps take the beating that you deal with on a nightly basis a little bit better and hopefully, you know, play longer and play healthier, play healthier and all that stuff. Um, but that's why he's such a fascinating player that that's part of the reason why. And yeah, and back to the, the Phil Jasner thing. So, you know, they, they get in this big argument and at that, that was towards the end of the press conference. So Alan was completely riled up, but Phil kind of being the bulldog reporter that he was, he's like, well, you know, if you, if you, your shot selection was a little bit better and maybe you got your teammates more involved and Alan stops him and says, what he's smiling. He's very condescending here. He goes, what do you know about basketball? He's like, (laughs) he's like, have you ever played basketball? He's like, I know you as a columnist, but I I don't know you as a basketball player. And Phil goes, why does that matter? And Alan goes, because we're talking about basketball. (laughs) And that is, uh, Oh, that's so good. And it, the the best part about it is, you know, Phil, he, he obvious, um, not obviously, maybe some people don't know. He passed away a, about a decade ago. I think it was 2010. So, so Andy, his son is, is a journalist and he, uh, he was very close with them and he kind of has a lot of good stories about how, how people used to rib Phil because at the end of it, um, at the end of that back and forth, I guess I, uh, I got cut off there. I, lost my train of thought. Phil says, can I ask a question? And Alan goes, what's your question? Philip. <laughs> and people started to call him Philip for pretty much the next couple of years, just as a joke because nobody had called him, called him Philip. And that's something that, you know, Alan, I think regrets to this day a little bit. Like he was a little bit embarrassed about it, I would say. But the thing is, once Allen left Philadelphia and the, even towards the end of his career, him and Phil Jasner became great friends. He always respected Phil, which I always think is cool that he, uh, even though he had some blow ups once in a while, and even if both of them could be a little bit hard headed in uh, in good ways, Allen respected a, a beat writer who did really good work and tried to get it right. And I think at every time Allen has been honored, whether it was like his number was retired or he made the hall of fame or even he retired as a player. I think he said, I wish Phil Jasner was here because he was really important to me. And that's a, uh, I don't know. I think that's a really cool thing. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Didn't, didn't he mention Phil during his hall of fame speech? I think he's mentioned him in all of them. I didn't watch every one of them. I know he mentioned him in the, when he got his number retired in Philly and when he, retired in Philly. I think, right. I think he mentioned him at the hall of fame too. I just don't know off the top of my head. Right. All right. Let's pause for one more break. This time to hear from manscaped. If you're bored in the house, bored in the house, bored, why not spend some time on yourself? Our sponsor today, manscaped is here to make sure you're well-groomed above and below the belt. Manscaped promotes clean hygiene when it comes to shaving. Thanks to their lawnmower 3.0. Manscaped is forever changing the grooming game with their perfect package 3.0. The Perfect Package 3.0 kit comes with the new and improved Lawnmower 3.0, a waterproof cordless body trimmer, and a ton of other liquid formulations to round out your manscaping routine. This third-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to prevent manscaping accidents. 
Shading is about to be nick-free thanks to Manscaped's advanced skin-safe technology. Subscribe to the perfect package and you get a new replacement blade refill for your lawnmower trimmer delivered to your door every three months, making sure your trimmer always stays fresh and clean. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code THEATHLETIC. And for a limited time, subscribers get not one but two free gifts. The Shed Travel Bag, a $39 value, and the patented high-performance anti-chafing Manscaped Boxer Briefs. So go to manscaped.com today and use code THEATHLETIC. And now back to the show. Yeah, it was... uh... Quite a time. Quite. I, I will. I, do you have like you? How much of Iverson's run? I'm trying to think. So I was. I graduated in 2000. So I was 18. I would have been 19 during the NBA Finals run. Um. So yeah, you would have been. You would have been watching hoops at that point. Yeah. Oh yeah. He was. Look, I mean, he was everybody's favorite player. I, I know. I'm not the biggest sneaker guy in the world, but I had a a pair of. I think they were question fours i think is what they were were and it was funny i didn't really wear them to play basketball in them i was uh as a kid i was always pretty good about like using my sneakers for a couple years and i would say for about a two-year period i uh i think i had a pair of like actual basketball shoes that i would play in but like i would wear my iversons to school wear them you know to the park to play with my friends and wear them around the house you know wear them if you're going to the pool riding your bike whatever he was, I mean, he was a huge deal. I'll never forget my grandma, little old Irish lady who loved the, uh, her main sport was she loved the Phillies and she would watch every Phillies game. She was really into basketball those years because she found Allen Iverson so captivating and, and so much fun. And I would say she kind of stopped a little bit with the, uh, with the Sixers after he left. He was, uh, yeah, I mean, that run to the finals was, was amazing. And I think, you know, it was just kind of, it was all emotion. Some of those games, those, uh, I'll never forget that when Vince Carter had that shot, it's the scariest yeah. moment oh, yeah. ever. Yep. Tyrone Hill just running in slow motion at him. And it's funny. A, a good contest by Tyrone Hill too. A good contest, good contest but yeah. he's still open, uh, enough to, <laughs> to make that shot. Well, it was makeable. I mean, it, it, look, it hit, it was probably a, a more accurate shot than the Kawhi shot that went in. It just, yeah. You know. Bounce the uh, ball sometimes. And Tyrone Hill is standing in the corner behind Vince, and I think he's kind of like right in front of the Raptors bench, and he just puts his arms up in triumph, but it's also kind of like a shrug too. Like he's, I think he's thinking, "Oh my god, that was horrifying." Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, I and was, then you had you had Big Dog in the next series, missed who the had five like footer. Yeah. a close baseline shot that he just missed, and that I mean, look if that if there's one thing thing Glenn Robinson can do, it was make mid range shots. And uh, two nail-biter series to get to that NBA Finals. It is the most intense basketball I've ever seen in this town. Not that there's a whole lot of competition to go up against, but it was, um, it was, it was, it was a special time. I will never forget the way that the city fell in love with that team. And for a team that didn't win a Finals, and quite frankly, had no business winning a Finals either. I said like, that to Larry Brown today. I told him, like, hey, man, you, you guys just even winning a game off them and being competitive in a couple of other games, like th- there's nothing more you could have done. Seriously. Yeah, and it, it would have been one of my great. What ifs is what if Iverson played in this era? And I think a lot of people look at him and say, well, look, he's not a good shooter. He's not a good defender. He'll get switched. He'll, he'll, people will hunt switches. He'll get picked on. That's all true. 
Fine, I get that. But man, you go back and you watch some of those games and look at the spacing he had to deal with. Holy shit. Like, if you could give him a chance to uh, play in today's spacing, like, yeah, he's not going to have gravity out on the perimeter, but he will create open shots galore, and he will have a much easier time getting into the paint. I would I would, I would, would like to see it. As just a thought experiment, I would like to see it. I think that dude played in the wrong era of the NBA. Yeah. And, when, and those, the, the way that Larry and Billy built those teams around him, oh. which I think, I don't know, I think towards the end it got bad, but... Look, the the championship year, I think there is like a rationale behind it, right? Like you want selfless guys who are tough and play defense because Allen's going to monopolize the ball in a way that, you know, you want him to be the whole offense. I think it was somewhat similar. Uh, it's it's a worse team, but it, it the idea was something similar to what Derrick Rose in, okay. uh, in Chicago when he won the MVP, where, where you want him to be the guy who is the entire offense, but you want everybody else to pick up the slack and be tough on defense. And and I think that made some sense, but yeah, when you look at the team, you know, it's, it's pretty rough. And then th- there were moves made after that year that, that probably didn't work. They, they handed out some contracts that, that weren't good. They stuck with uh, McKee and snow probably for, for too long. But yeah, I, I agree with you. I think he did, play in the wrong era. And I think now you would, you'd be looking for a similar type of team, but the, you would want three and D guys now, right? Like you would want, you know, Eric snow was probably more suited to be a backup. Like you would want Eric snow, but a guy who could make threes. Well, and and I mean, look, Eric snow, George Lynch, Tyrone Hill, like that team, that shooting on that team was an abomination, but those guys were Um, tough and and Larry got them to play defense. Absolutely. They, their defense was built the right way. It's just, we sort of had a, a minor disregard for floor spacing back then. <laughs> yeah. But like I said, diff, different era. I mean, Allen would score 34 and they'd score 87 as a team. It was, it was a tough era to play. In. Um, yeah. He would be a better shooter now too, I think. Just because. I think, I think they'd work. Well, I mean, they'd want him to work on it more. I guess that's the whole point of this podcast is who knows whether or not he would, but they would want him to work on it more. I, I just think in general, they would they would work on it more and he would be better because i mean like if we're moving his his age back on the on the timeline a little bit i just think the three point shot for somebody who plays now is just a bigger part of your basketball upbringing almost like you're for shooting sure. threes by the time you're a kid and i mean obviously he had the crazy athletic career like his football highlights are insane from well, we he said he was school. a better ba- football player than basketball he literally could have been anything. He What was he? I think he was in the same time as Aaron Brooks and he insisted he was a better quarterback than Aaron Brooks. I think that's yeah. the story. I mean that whole area that Hampton Newport News area has uh has produced all those great quarterbacks. Aaron Brooks and then obviously Michael Vick too and Marcus Vick afterwards. Uh Yeah, yeah, he thought he was better than Aaron Brooks and I think I'm not positive, but I think Aaron Brooks might have said he was a better quarterback in high school than than him. I actually don't know. I remember there's something on YouTube where they uh they talk about it where Alan and, and Aaron and Vic talk about how good Alan was at football. Yeah. Now look at, at some point being five eleven is a detriment to being a quarterback. I don't think that um, would have flew in the NFL. I think he made no, the right choice. And whereas Iverson can overcome that in the NBA with his athleticism and his relentlessness, like at some point you have to be able to see over the line to make the pass, and Alan would have struggled with that. 
And, you know, as much as he got crunched in the NBA and as many hard hits as he took, like... He might have had to pick up a weight if he went to the NFL, yeah. That's what I mean. Like, one bad hit in the NFL, that could be... Uh, that could be bye-bye for your, for your career at that size. So, yeah, he made the right call. Yes. Yes, he did. Uh, all right. Anything else you uh, you, you want to get out there about the story? Again, this is only a small drop of what is in that story. So go check it out. Again, theathletic.com slash Sixers. Find Rich's piece. I'm sure it'll be featured at the top for quite a while. Um, but anything else you think uh, would w- would help paint the picture? Nope. Read it. Good. Sounds good. Well, thank you, Rich, for jumping on. Um, excellent story. Sort of different than what we've done here a lot, but we have a little more time on our hands, and Rich, Rich knocked this one out of the park. So thank you for jumping on, and we will talk to you soon. See you, man.